This is the Southern Hills Church of God, and this is our podcast. We want to thank you for joining us today. We hope this message inspires you and guides you and builds your faith. God bless and enjoy this message. I want to talk to you this morning about two words. And those two words are surviving or thriving. Surviving or thriving. And I think in order for us to understand the difference in these two words, we need to look at their definitions. The word survive literally means to live or exist. If you've watched much television over the past several years, you know that there is a series, and I've never sat down and really got engaged in it. I'm just, I've seen the previews of it, but it's called Survivor. And there's one person who ultimately survives the test and the challenges or whatever they go through. But the definition of the word thrive is significantly different than survive. And before I get into that, I just want to say this this morning. That I'm concerned that in the church we have too many survivors and not enough thrivers. Now some of you are, are, are a little bit reserved about saying amen right there because you're not sure what that is going. Well, preacher, I thought it was a good thing to survive. Well, it is, but it's a better thing to thrive. So the word survive literally means to live or exist. To survive means to continue to live or exist in spite of danger. Whereas to thrive means to grow, develop, and prosper. Develop vigorously, one definition says. To flourish. I knew a man one time that if you would shake his hand and you would ask him how he was doing, his response would be, well, I was doing good, but I got over it real quick. In my mind, that's the definition of somebody who is just living. They're just existing. They're just breathing in air and exhaling air. God never intended for His church just to survive. Many people have an incorrect perception of the church. They think when the trumpet sounds that the blood-bought church is just going to barely skate into the gates of glory. They think the church is going to just, as beaten and battered as it may be, barely limp across the gates of glory. But can I tell you that I don't see that today, but I see the true blood-bought church of the living God when the trumpet sounds marching ahead in victory, in glory, in power as a church that has been thriving and growing and developing and flourishing here in this life. And now we're being uh, given our reward. To survive just means you're just breathing. You're just sitting there. You're not doing much. Hello, somebody. I want to use this story today and talk to you about surviving or thriving. Jacob's an interesting character. Jacob's name means that he was a liar and a cheater and a deceiver. If you know much about the story of Jacob and Esau, you understand that Esau was in the line to receive the blessing 
from the Father. And he was, he was the one who was to receive the blessing. But because of, of, of their mother and what she devised this wicked plan with Jacob, she, she basically hoodwinked. I don't know if that's a word in Oklahoma, but anybody know what hoodwink means? Tricked their father into blessing Jacob instead of Esau. Right? Jacob's name literally means supplanter. Now, if we look at what the word supplanter means, let's look at that for just a moment. What does the word supplanter mean? It's one who wrongfully or illegally seizes and holds the place of another. We probably don't use the word supplanter very much anymore, but you'll recognize this word, one who usurps authority, if you will. He's one who takes claim or jumps in front of somebody else. One who illegally occupies property to which another has a legal claim. Now, let me dive into this this morning. I don't know about you, but I'd hate for somebody to look at me if I was Jacob and say, Jacob, what does your name mean? Because you got to come face to face with what your name means. Because you see, in, in, in Scripture, in the Bible, names truly meant something. They, they, they were really indicative of their lifestyle and the things that they did. And Jacob's name means, well, I was a liar, I was a cheater, I was a thief, if you will. I was one who illegally obtained something that didn't belong to me. And, and, and if you really look at this story close, you'll find that Jacob is really living a life of a survivor because when Esau has now found out about what happened, Esau was not happy. And he was looking for Jacob. Hello, somebody. And Jacob is literally in this story. He is up until this point. He is living the life of a survivor. He is just barely existing. He's on the run, if you will. He's trying to just survive. He just wants to not let his brother get a hold of him. Because you can imagine what's about to happen. It's not going to be no brotherly love. But something began to happen in Jacob's life. And that's where we're going to pick this story up. Jacob moved from somebody who was just surviving to somebody who began to thrive. And let's look at the story here. If we're going to be a thriving church, we must experience a revival of the heart, a revival of the home, and a revival of the church. I'm going to say that one more time. There must be an experience of revival in the heart, that's individually. In the home, that's in your household. And in the church as a corporate setting. I want to walk through this story. And I want to show you some keys to thriving. The first thing I notice is found in verse 24. The Bible says that Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until daybreak. Now we can get into the scholarly uh, ideas. And the, the theological ideas of who the man is. But I'll just tell you what many scholars and theologians have presented arguments as some have presented arguments that the man who wrestled with Jacob was Jesus Christ himself some have said it was an angel from the Lord regardless of who it was let's just say it was a representative from God and he began to wrestle with Jacob the first thing I see in verse 24 is Jacob was left 
alone. If we're going to move beyond being a surviving church and a surviving people to a thriving people, there's got to be some separation. There's got to be a time when we separate ourselves away from those who are hindering us from being all that God has called us to be. You say, well, preacher, how is that possible? Come out from the world. Come out from among them, Paul said, and be a separate people. I'm concerned, I'm going to get in trouble here, but I'm going to say it anyway. I'm concerned that in too many settings, the church looks too much like the world. And the world has begun to look so much like the church that those in the world cannot distinguish the difference between the two. What do you mean, preacher? This is what I mean. Somewhere in our mind, oh, help me, Jesus. Somewhere in our mind, and I say our mind is the church, We've gotten the idea that if we're going to win the lost, we've got to look like the world. We've got to offer them what the world is offering them in order to appease them and entice them and draw them in. I'm sorry this morning, but I don't see it that way. I don't read my Bible that way because I read where Jesus said, If I be lifted up, I would draw all men unto me. We don't need to look like the devil to win people to Jesus. You say, well, preacher, that's pretty tough. It's the truth. We've got to be separated. I want people to look at me and know there's something different about me. I don't want anybody to have a question in their mind. Well, is that man saved? I read something the other day that says that you shouldn't have to tell people you're a Christian. They ought to be able to see it in your lifestyle. They ought to be able to see it in your walk. They ought to hear it in your talk. They ought to see it in the way you do things, the way you carry yourself. You shouldn't have to announce to people, hey, I'm a child of God. I'm a Christian. Too many times we have not separated ourselves. We have allowed ourselves to be mixed in and we mingle amongst. And because of that, we have a difficult time distinguishing. But I'm telling you, if we're going to be a people who are growing and developing and, and developing vigorously and flourishing, we're going to have to be a set-apart people. We're going to have to be a set-apart people. I still believe that God's standard of living is, is holiness. That's a word we don't hear in the church much anymore. When people look at us, they need to be able to see a difference. For us to survive, we can just exist we can just be apart we can just go through the motions i have no desire just to go through the motions church but i have a desire to grow and to develop flourish and to be prosperous and do all that god wants me to do for the church and his kingdom if i'm going to do that i've got to be set apart jacob was left alone what began to happen well you're not going to like this one if you didn't like the set apart one Sometimes you're going to have to tarry all night. Look at what the Bible said in verse 24. Not only was Jacob left alone, but a man wrestled with him. How long? Until daybreak. That tells me that it was an all-night wrestling match. Hello, somebody. That means there's going to be some times where you're going to have to roll yourself out of the bed at night, get on your face before God, and tarry before Him and lay before him in prayer. 
Sometimes you're going to have to tarry in the situation or the circumstance until the Lord shows up. Now, that, that's not popular preaching, and we don't get much amens on that because if we're walking through something today, we don't want to hear, hey, you may just have to be there a few more days until the Lord shows up. Hello, somebody. We're, we're, we're the people that says, I want God to do it yesterday, but I'm still in it today. God's timing is not our timing. Sometimes we've got to tarry. We've got to be there. We've got to fight through some things all night long. But can I tell you, the blessing that awaits on the other side is worth the midnight hour. It's worth tarrying through the night. It's worth enduring until the end. I read over the New Testament where Paul and Silas was arrested and thrown into a Philippian jail for doing the work of God. And the Bible says that about midnight they begin to pray and sing praises unto God. You know what happened if you've been around church and read that story very much. About midnight when they begin to pray and sing praises unto God, a great earthquake came in because the power and the presence of God were being ushered in during the midnight hour. we got to quit being lazy in the church. God, you, God, you can only move from 1045 to 12 p.m. God, you can only move in this span of time. And if you don't show up, then we're just going to exit. You know what? I begin to think about the Acts chapter 2 story. What would have happened had they not tarried until they were endued? What would have happened? They would have missed out on the greatest experience the church has ever had. Outside of salvation. But we've got to be a people that we're willing to walk through some midnight things. We're, we're willing to walk through some midnight hours. And we're, we're willing to be inconvenienced just a little bit. Now that's not, that's not a popular word. But can I tell you, I've read Jesus' life. And there were a lot of times in his life that he was not convenienced. He was inconvenienced. But he did it because he loved us. And he wanted us to be all that we could be. We're going to have to be inconvenienced. We're going to have to be prompted by the Spirit and know that we've got to move when the Spirit unctions us at the midnight hour or 2 a.m. in the morning to get up and pray for that person. Tarry all night. That's what happened with Jacob. He, he was alone and he began to wrestle with this man. and He began to tarry all night. Now this is not, this is not good preaching right here, but do you realize that sometimes some of the things that we've been struggling with we want the Lord to take some things, but yet we don't want to turn loose of it. That's where that tarrying comes in. We've got to tarry until our flesh gives way to the Spirit. We've got to tarry all night. Let me talk to you about a C word that this speaks about. It speaks about commitment. If the church needs anything today, it's more commitment. This revival is not going to be given to just anybody. It's coming for those who are committed and sold out and looking for God to move on their behalf. You say, preacher, why are you preaching something like this after the two great moves of God we've had over the last couple of weeks? I'll tell you why. Because if we're not careful, the enemy will slip in and want us to get comfortable with where we are thinking we've arrived and gotten somewhere. But can I tell you, we are still living in a fleshly body and if there's anything I need today more than I needed it last week, it's another authentic outpouring of the Holy Ghost of God. It's the presence of God. Terry. Commitment. We've got to come with an expectation. And sometimes it's going to be an all night event. Look at what he said in verse 26. I know I'm skipping some verses. I'll come back to those. 
Verse 26, this is what he said. Let me go, for the dawn is breaking. That's what the man was saying to Jacob. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. We've gotten to the point in the church where we just want to pray a little prayer, but we don't want to hold on until breakthrough comes. Jacob said, I'm not turning you loose until you bless me. That word bless means to greatly bless. If you, if you look at it in, in, in the Greek, it means to persist. It means to receive something as a benefit. He said, I'm not going to turn you loose. You've come down here. Can I just preach it like I feel it this morning? Jacob was basically saying, you've come down here and you've interrupted my night to get a hold of me and to wrestle with me. And I've made up my mind, I'm not going to turn you loose until you bless me. When's the last time you got a hold of God and you said, God, until I get the breakthrough, I'm not going to turn loose. Let me tell you something. If we're going to thrive in the world we're living in, if we're going to be a thriving church, can I just preach some old school stuff right here? And let me tell you some things we're going to have to hold on to. We're going to have to hold on to the Word of God. We're going to have to hold on to this book right here and believe that this book is our ruling authority. Matthew 24, 35 said, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. The Bible is still the true, pure, unadulterated word of the living God. His word will never pass away. It will always be true. Let me tell you some other things we're going to have to hold on to. We're going to have to hold on to some prayer. Pray without ceasing, Paul said. Luke 18, 1. The Bible says, Jesus spake a parable unto them and said, Men ought always to pray and not faint. We're going to have to hold on to some prayer. We're going to have to have some prayer meetings. I, I was sharing this with somebody the other day. I said, I remember a church we pastored several years ago. We called a, a prayer meeting on a weeknight. And guess who showed up? Me and my wife. Well, that was real encouraging. I'm glad the pastor and his wife wanted to pray. Hello, somebody. We're going to have to be inconvenienced and spend some time in prayer. We're going to have to hold on to some prayer. Here's another word we don't hear very often. We're going to have to hold on to some fasting. We're going to have to hold on to some fasting. When the disciples could not cast the demon out, Jesus said, this thing only comes by prayer and by fasting. You say, Preacher, you're preaching good until you got to this part. I know. Because reading the Bible... Praying and fasting inconveniences our flesh. You want to fall asleep when you start to read. You think of a thousand other things to do when you start to pray. And every time you decide to fast, you get hungrier than you've ever been in your life. That's the devil not wanting you to do any of those things. It's called spiritual disciplines. But if we're going to be a thriving church, not somebody that's just surviving... Then we're going to have to take up the word and read it. We're going to have to get on our face before God. And we're going to have to push away from the table and say, God, I'm going to crucify my flesh and consecrate myself to you here. Let me tell you something else we're going to have to hold on to. We're going to have to hold on to the Holy Ghost. Old time Pentecost. I, I, I'll establish it 
If you hadn't figured it out by now, that I still believe in the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues as the Spirit of God gives the utterance. You are in a Pentecostal church. We are not a dead church. We are a Pentecostal church that has been endued with power from on high. The fire of the baptism of the Holy Ghost is real and evident here. And we're going to let him operate. That's why we say, get out of the way, preacher, and let God be God. Let the Holy Ghost move. We're not going to relegate Him to some back room somewhere. Somebody wants the baptism of the Holy Ghost, we're not going to usher them off to a side room to be prayed for. We're going to do it in the altar of God. Hello, somebody. You say, preacher, now you really think it takes all of that? I absolutely do. If it was good for the apostles of old, it's good enough for us. If it, was, if it was good enough for our forefathers in the church, it's good enough for us. We've got to quit trying to see what we can do away with and still feel like we're saved because then we're surviving. I'm going to say that one more time. We've got to stop trying to figure out what we can do without because then we're just surviving. I read something earlier this week. It said, in the Bible, they ask, what must we do to be saved? But today, people are asking, what can I do and still be saved? That's a survival mentality. If I do this, can I still be saved? Am, am I still a child of God if I partake of this? If I engage in this, am, am, I still, am I still okay? If you have to ask if something's a sin, you probably ought to stay away from it. Now, that's deep and that's theological right there. You might want to put that on your refrigerator under a magnet so you can read it two or three times a day. If you've got to ask, is it a sin for me to do this? Stay away from it. Don't roll the dice on it. But the reality of it is, we've got to be disciplined. Hello, somebody. If we're going to grow in the Word, we have to be in the Word. If we're going to grow in faith, you can't come up here and ask the preacher to pray for you to have more faith. Some of your theology just went, Phew. I'm going. Listen. You can't come up here and say, preacher, I need more faith. Pray for me to have more faith. You know what the Bible says about getting more faith? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the... So you've got to hear the word of God. That means you've got to be in a setting like you are right now where the preached word increases your faith. Where the sung word increases your faith. Where the reading of the scripture increases your faith. That's the way you get more faith. If you need to trust God for something, get in His Word. If you need to trust Him for something you've never trusted Him for before, get in His Word. Hello, somebody. This is what a thriving church looks like. We're growing. Where are we growing? We're growing in the Word. We're growing in faith. We're growing in prayer. And we're not growing in pants size because we're fasting. That was meant to be humorous. We're growing in our walk with Him and our depth of the Holy Ghost. You say, preacher, you can grow in your depth of the Holy Ghost? Absolutely. The gifts of the Spirit. Did you know that the more that you allow God to take you deeper, the more deeper the spiritual gifts get? There's a price to be paid for this stuff. You can't go down to Walmart and buy it on the clearance rack. You can't order it from Amazon and have it in a day or two. 
But I'll tell you how you can get it. Get on your face before God and ask Him for it. And He'll dispatch it out to you. What did Jacob say? He said, I'm not going to turn you loose until you bless me. Then something significant happens. Look at verse 27. So he said to him, he said, what is your name? Now the Bible just straightforwardly says, and he said, Jacob. Now when I look at this, I think about it like this. I don't know if in that moment Jacob immediately responded. Perhaps Jacob ran through the meaning of his name several times in his mind. Well, how do I answer this? Well, my, name, my name means one who supplants or heel catcher or liar, cheat, deceiver because of what I did to my brother. He had to come to reality with who he was. Hello, somebody. He had to come to grips with who he truly was. He had to look at himself in the mirror and look at his identity and know who he was. Because you see, until we know who we are in the present tense, we'll never understand who we can truly become. Because in Christ there comes a shift and a change when the redeemed blood of the Lamb flows down to us and we become the redeemed. There's a change that takes place. So look at what he said here. He said, my name is Jacob. He identified himself. He came to grips with who he was. This was important because of the next statement. Because he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. Because you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. He asked for a blessing. And when he asked for a blessing, he said, I'm not turning you loose until you bless me. Then he began to ask him, well, what is your name? He made him come to grips with who he was. Him asking him his name was not to make him feel guilty. And it was not to make him feel like he was going backwards. Asking him his name was to help him to see what the significant thing was that was about to take place in his life. He was trying to tell him, Jacob, I'm about to move you from a place of just surviving to a place of thriving. Up until now, you've been on the run. Esau's wanted your head on a chopping block because you lied and cheated and deceived. But now, all of a sudden, I'm about to give you a new identity. I'm about to change your name. Oh, we used to sing a song out of that redback hymnal. There's a new name written down in glory. And it's mine. Oh, yes, it's mine. Charity Gale's got one out. I was crazy enough to... When she recorded it, I thought she recorded the old song. I pulled it up and I was like, well, that's not the old song. But there's still a new name written down in glory. Before we ever come to salvation, we had to come to grips with who we were. Hello, somebody. We had to come to the realization that I can no longer do this myself. I can't help myself anymore. I've got to yield to Him. I've got to give my life to Him so He can, he can direct me and lead me and cleanse me and wash me. Listen, I couldn't fix myself. I needed him to fix me. Jacob had an understanding here. He couldn't fix who he was, but he'd ask for a blessing for who he was going to be. He couldn't fix who he was, but he could ask for a blessing for who he was about to be. Jacob determined, I'm not turning loose until you bless me. The church had her whole Identity shifted with the dispatch of the Holy Spirit. 
When the Holy Ghost came in, we became a church on fire. Now listen. Down through the years, we've tried to do church without it. Hello, somebody. We've tried to say we don't need the Holy Ghost anymore. We're so smart. We're intellectual beings. We don't need to speak in an unknown tongue. Nobody understands all of that anyway. The devil is a liar. Hello, somebody. I said the devil is a liar. We are a tongue-talking church. We need the Holy Spirit to be evident. It is who we are. It's our identity. It's in our DNA. They went into the upper room one way with one identity. But when they came out, they came out with a new identity. These people are drunk, they said about them. That was never denied that they were drunk. These are not drunk as ye suppose. Seeing it but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. He said, your name's going to be called Israel. i got to get through this. What does a thriving church look like? What does a thriving people look like? It looks like this. Somebody or a church who allows the Holy Ghost to move in and amongst them. It's been too long since people have left the church scratching their head going, what does this mean? What meaneth this? That's what they ask in Acts. My prayer is that thriving will cause people to spread the news throughout the community. We're not just a surviving church. We're a thriving church. You've got to know the difference. So if somebody says, well, tell me what the difference is between a surviving church and a thriving church. A surviving church is just one who lives and exists. But a thriving church is one who is growing and flourishing. They're prosperous. God's in their midst and He's moving. This is my prayer. I don't want to be a church that looks like every other church in town. I don't want to settle for the same old church style. I desire a true, authentic move of God that changes lives forever. And I'm going to tell you something. I still believe in the power of God to deliver an alcoholic. I still believe in the power of God to free the drug addict. I still believe in the power of God to clean up the prostitute. That's the kind of God that I serve. He said, your name shall now be called Israel because you're a prince. You have power with God. And with men, you have prevailed. And the Bible said he blessed him there. Now listen, there's a whole lot more preaching in here than i got time to do today. But I'm going to do it anyway. Verse 29. He blessed him there. Where did he bless him? Right there in the midst of his struggle. The man was wrestling with Jacob. And he blessed him there in the midst of his struggle. Right in the midst of his mess, he blessed him there. Right in the midst of his calamity, he blessed him there. I'm quite sure it was not some easy task to be wrestling with whoever this person was. Because he was powerful. Hello, somebody. But he blessed him there in the midst of his struggle. You know what we've gotten to the mentality of? We've gotten to the mentality that God can't bless us in our hardship. We pray so much for God to take it away from us than to get us through it. 
Well, maybe God wants to take us through it so we can learn something from it. Sometimes God's going to bless you right in the middle of your mess. Because then your mess becomes a message. You can never, I know this is cliche, but you can never have a testimony without a test. Now let me tell you something. I, to help bring this point home and to talk to you about how God will bless you in the middle of your mess, I want to I give you an illustration of something. I got taken to task one time when I brought this point out because the Bible didn't spell it out like this. But, I mean, if you understand the day and time in which they live, you'll understand the context of this statement. The woman with the issue of blood was pressing her way through the crowd. It leads us to believe, evidently, that she must have been crawling because she touched the fringe or the hem of his garment. Right? This is what I said. I said, mode of travel that day was donkey, for the most part, or you walk. And I've been around enough livestock to know that when Mother Nature calls, that tail just goes up and everything happens. And I said this. I said, perhaps that woman crawling through that crowd today had to th crawl through some mess to get to Jesus. And she probably didn't smell like Estee Lauder when she got there. But she made up her mind that the stench wasn't going to stop her miracle. I'm just simply trying to tell you something. That God wants to bless you in the middle of what you're going through. You may not smell the best. You may stink. You may say, well, I don't look the best. It's okay. The God that I serve is standing with open arms, ready, willing, and wanting you to jump into His arms so He can embrace you just like you are. He blessed Him there. He said, my life is preserved. I've seen God face to face. I've got to get through this. I'm going to go back to verse 25. I'm going to preach this point. And I believe God's going to touch some people this morning. Verse 25. When he saw that he had not prevailed against him. This was not Jacob. He was speaking of the man he was wrestling. He touched the socket of his thigh. So that the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with him. So let me get this right. The man who Jacob was wrestling, who represented God or was his representative, could not prevail against Jacob. That's intestinal fortitude on Jacob's part. I'm not going to turn loose, God. So it seems to me that the only way this individual realized that he could prevail was if he touched the hollow or the socket of Jacob's thigh. To the extent that it became dislocated. Now listen. We have leaped in church long enough. God's not looking for leapers. He's looking for limpers. Now some of you are going, what does that mean? Let me explain. A leap is only temporary. But a limp is forever. You see, we go to the ball game. And when somebody hits a home run, we'll leap. 
and yell. When somebody shoots the basketball and scores a goal or somebody runs a touchdown, we'll leap because it's a joyous occasion. I'm going to tell you something. This is deep and theological. Don't miss this. We leap about so many things that when we look down through the eons of time of our life, we can never identify why we were leaping and where we were leaping. It's not a specific moment in time. But when you have a life-changing, life-altering event, you'll never forget it. Jacob, on this night, had a life-changing, life-altering event. When his hip was touched and it became dislocated, he limped from that day forward. I, I can just picture it now. After this situation, I can picture a buddy walking up to him and go, Hey, Jake. Man, what happened to you? Last time I saw you, you were walking fine, but now you got a limp about you. And I can hear Jacob now. Let me tell you about my limp. There was a night not that long ago when I was all by myself and somebody came down from heaven and got a hold of me and I got a hold of him. And I said, I'm not going to turn you loose until you bless me. And it was on that day, on that moment in time, that I developed my limp. And he began to limp. What are you saying? I'm saying when we really get a hold of God, and God really gets a hold of us, it'll be such a life-changing, life-altering event. We'll never forget it. And we'll always reach back and point to the moment in time when we got our limp. You can leap all you want to leap. That's fine. I'm nothing against it. But I'm looking for limpers more than I'm looking for leapers. A leap is temporary. You can leap today and forget about it. But if you leave this house of God this morning limping your way out of here because you've had a life encounter and a life changing event, you'll never forget that on October the 2nd of 2022, I walked into that church fine, but I had an encounter with a holy God that left me limping from that day forward. My, stand with me all over this house. I feel like I'm about to run the back of them chairs. My God, I feel the Holy Ghost in this place. You say, preacher, you against leaping? No. You against shouting? Nope. You against running? Nope. I've done all of them. I still do them. There's nothing wrong with running, dancing, shouting, none of those things. Leaping, jumping. We've got to make sure we walk right when we get done, though. Those are all emotional responses. But can I tell you something about a limp? A limp is not an emotional response. It is a physical change that takes place. You know what my prayer is? My prayer is this, God, every time we walk through the door, let us be limping on our way out. Whew. Jacob was a man who was only surviving on the run for his life, trying to avoid his brother Esau. 
But when he had this encounter with God, God changed everything about him. He said, Jacob, you'll no longer be known as a liar and a cheater and a deceiver. And one who usurps authority and illegally obtains something that doesn't belong to you. Now you're going to be known as Israel because as a prince, you have power with God. Heavenly Father, Lord, I have preached your word, Lord, as I have felt you deliver it to my spirit today. Now, God, I'm asking you in this moment, God, to sweep through this room. You know right where every person is at. God, and I'm asking you right now, Lord, to draw by your spirit. God, I'm asking you to do what only you can do in this moment. God, I'm asking you today that when we leave this place, we'll have some people that are limping because they have encountered a life-changing event with you.